You have to go back nearly six years for the last instance of the Oklahoma Sooners football team going on the road to play a top five opponent. On September 17, 2011, the number one team in the land at the time, the Oklahoma Sooners, traveled to Tallahassee, Florida to take on the fifth-ranked Florida State Seminoles in week three of the season. That Florida State team had 12 regular contributors who would go on to be a major factor in the team's national championship run two seasons later. ESPN's College Game Day was on hand, the game owned the coveted Saturday primetime slot on ABC, and it was being billed as potentially the most consequential non-conference matchup of the season. Sound familiar? Now, of course, it's not the best comparison to what the Sooners will be facing this upcoming Saturday night in Columbus, but it may provide a type of blueprint of what a Sooners win against Ohio State could look like. The Sooners opened that 2011 game with a 15-play, 80-yard drive on the first possession. A one-yard QB sneak by redshirt junior quarterback Landry Jones gave OU a 7-0 lead, and then the rest of the game was pretty ugly. OU would go on to win 23-13 on a late Jones touchdown to Kenny Stills, but big-time plays from both offenses were very few and far in between. Instead, both defenses slugged it out and played a bone-crushing, dirty, and blue-collar-like defensive game. It is still the hardest-hitting game I have seen an OU defense play since then. The Sooners have a veteran offensive line and a veteran quarterback with a number of dangerous weapons at his disposal. Conventional wisdom has been suggesting that OU will need to rely on the right arm of Baker Mayfield to win this game, and I think to some extent that's absolutely true. However, OU's defense, led by seven senior starters, has preached physicality all offseason camp and also this entire week leading up to Saturday's showdown. Perhaps it wouldn't be a terrible idea for OU's defensive players to put on tape of that evening in Tallahassee from six years ago. Not necessarily for tips on how to defend Ohio State, but to showcase the attitude and physicality that is required to go into the number two team in the nation's own house and take them down. I'm Grant Benson, and this is West of Everest. 41-yard field goal to win it. It is long enough. It is good. Wow. With three seconds to play in the game. The Oklahoma team and some of their fans have come onto the field in exultation as Von Schaumann hit it on the money. Just a few yards away from this exultation, Ohio State players still lie prostrate on the field, pounding the turf in frustration, walking dismally away. Forty years ago this month, Uwe Von Schaman kicked the Sooners to victory over Ohio State in Columbus. Von Schaman's 41-yarder gave OU a 29-28 win over the fourth-ranked Buckeyes. And now, for the first time since that game, the Sooners are heading back to Columbus this Saturday. Hi, everyone. Welcome into West of Everest. I am Lee Benson. My brother Grant and I have tons of information to get you prepared for OU Ohio State. But first... I want to remind you that West of Everest is available on SoundCloud and iTunes. Feel free to listen in and give us a rating and a review. Anything less than five stars will not be counted. Also, if you're new to the podcast, check out our quick preview pod where Grant and I explain a bit about our backgrounds with OU football. And while you're at it, check out episode one, which is our full OU season preview. All right, finally, we're done with that. We're into game week. Let's bring Grant back in. Grant, OU Ohio State, 
It's finally here. Thanks, Lee. It's really good to be here. Um, I can't believe that Von Shaman game was 41 years ago. Obviously, 40. 40 was, was it 41? Ago. Okay, 40, 40 years ago. It was 1977. 1977. Oh, I saw 41-yarder, figured it was 41 years. But can you believe that? I mean, obviously, you and I didn't even exist back then. Um, no. But it's, but it's a game that I, that I had heard of, you know, since I was, I was a kid. And it's kind of hard to believe that the Sooners haven't been back to Columbus since then. It's kind of cool if you think about it. Very cool. And working at News 9 all week, my sports director, my boss, Dean Blevins, has talked a lot about it. And we had Uwe von Schaumann on our 30-minute sports show, the Oklahoma Ford Sports Blitz, this past Sunday. And he talked all about it. It was really cool. Uh, so anyways, here's how we're going to do this today between Grant and I. We're going to go all in on OU Ohio State. We've each watched the Buckeyes-Indiana game from last Thursday, and we've both re-watched the OU Ohio State game from last year multiple times. On today's show, we're going to tell you what the film is telling us. So to kick things off, the first thing I want from you, Grant, is what was your initial thoughts on Saturday's game before you watched that Ohio State-Indiana film? Um, well, after I saw the Sooners play against UTEP on Saturday, my confidence for that game, uh, th- th- this upcoming game, was about as high as it as it has been. Uh, mostly, uh, m- mostly just because I hadn't seen Oklahoma that crisp in a season opener in, in some time. Um, they just had a sort of veteran presence about them, where they were out there just kind of trying to take care of business, um, just trying to execute as best as they possibly could because they knew that they had a big time game coming up that next week. So I felt I, I felt really good about it, about as good as I have over the past year, at least at least since they played last uh, last September. Well, my initial thoughts were, OK, Indiana was up 14 to 13 at halftime. So that's got to mean that Ohio State has some flaws. OU is much better than Indiana and the Sooners have the horses to play a full four quarters, a full four quarters. So I was feeling pretty optimistic about the Sooners as well. But. Now that I've watched tape of that Indiana game, man, you know, I'm not I'm not feeling so optimistic anymore, Grant. How did you feel after you watched that Ohio State Ohio State Indiana game? Same thing. Um, I, I I didn't at first get to watch a lot of that Ohio State Indiana game live, um, so I mostly I just go off off of Twitter and box scores, and and it really did look like Indiana was giving Ohio State a lot of trouble, and not to say that they weren't because they were. I mean, they were leading at halftime. Um, but uh, yeah, upon watching that film, uh, a lot of the stuff that happened in that game was was maybe of a fluky nature. Maybe they were just really excellent plays that were being made. Um, we'll go we'll go into it a little deeper. But um, that Ohio State Lee is is an impressive group of players. That to put it lightly. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's really shocking how much the talent just jumps off the screen when you watch them. So, all right, let's go into the game. Let's break down the film. Well, first up. We'll talk about the Oklahoma offense taking on that Ohio State defense. And the first thing we're going to talk about is thoughts of what we saw from that Ohio State defense against Indiana. And I'll start with this. And here's my initial takeaways. The Buckeyes, extremely athletic bunch. They were always pressing as far as the cornerbacks goes up on those wide receivers. Played a lot of man coverage. But at the same time, they were extremely uh, extremely good at disguising coverages because they drop back into a cover two a lot as well. Uh, it's obvious to me that Greg Schiano, the defensive coordinator, challenges his cornerbacks to really play up on the line of scrimmage and challenge those receivers. And that's something that I wish that Oklahoma would do. I really wish the, the Sooners would get up 
with Jordan Thomas, Parnell Motley, and even in the, in the past, and really challenge those receivers at the line, get a hit on them. Because I know that, in theory, if they mess up, a receiver could have an open release and be open, but you have to have confidence in your defensive backs to be able to get that hit and, and disrupt a route and then give your defensive line more of a chance to get to the quarterback because the receiver's routes will be knocked off by the defensive back. So Ohio State does that every single play. And even when they're not in man, they'll get a little hit and they'll jump, they'll kind of back off into their zone coverage. So it's it's going to be extremely difficult for the, the wide receivers of Oklahoma to get off the ball if, if they're playing that kind of coverage. So that's my initial thoughts on what I saw, and, and we'll go into more detail. But what, what were your official thought, initial thoughts on this Ohio State defense when you watched the Indiana tape? Well, the first thing that jumps off the screen on you is their, and I and I know it's it's been it's been beaten to death lately, but it's their defensive line, um, and just just kind of how easily they got pressure on Indiana's quarterback. Indiana had a game plan coming in where they were trying to get the ball out of uh, their quarterback's hand very quickly. Uh, for the most part, they did succeed at that, um, but. With that being said, it's it's kind of astonishing how how easily um, the Ohio State defensive line got pressure um, on Indiana's quarterback, even when they were in those quick three-step drops, get the ball out of your hand as quickly as possible. Um, I, there's been a lot of talk about Ohio State having the best defensive line in the country. I, I'm not so sure to crown them over over Clemson's bunch. I think Clemson probably does have a better defensive line, especially against against the run. But as far as pass rushers go, I don't know if you're going to find uh, another team in the entire country that throws as many pass rushers at you as Ohio State does. Um, it, it it was kind of shocking because uh, you know they have they have Joey Bosa's younger brother Nick Bosa. Uh, Sam Hubbard is another defensive end who's really good. Taekwon Lewis um, is a guy who gets after the quarterback really well. Um, I, I guess it's it's probably a good thing that OU's arguably their biggest strength um, outside of their their senior quarterback is their offensive line uh, because they're going to need to play exceptionally well in this game. The same time though, the defensive line was good. But you got to give a lot of credit to Indiana's quarterback, Richard Lego, man. He played a fantastic game, at least in the first half. He was accurate. He was throwing into tight coverage because, let's be honest, all the coverage from Ohio State's defenders were t- was tight. It was tight. Uh, the, it, the coverage was good. So don't don't look at Indiana's box score and say, oh, they threw for 450 yards. This, you know, the, the secondary is leaky. It, not necessarily. It is leaky in some places, but it's definitely not on the edges with those corners. They were playing tight coverage the entire game, and they were playing really good coverage the entire game, actually. I mean, just think back. I mean, all the touchdowns they scored, with the exception of one, the first touchdown that Indiana scored was to Ian Thomas. Just a beautiful throw and a beautiful catch, dragging his, his foot and getting himself inbounds. I mean, it was good coverage. I mean, it, it really was, and it was just a perfect throw and fantastic execution by Indiana. Same thing happened with the next touchdown that Indiana scored. And then the third and final touchdown was just a fantastic play call uh, that they motioned the tight end before the play. And then they ran a little pick play with the receiver and the tight end was wide open on an out route in the end zone. It was just Indiana's offense really executed well for a lot of this game. In, Indiana looked good in that uh, the first two and a half quarters of the game, I thought, uh, just executing. They they were doing a very good job of taking exactly what Ohio State was giving them, which was not much. Um, and so I, I, I do, you know, you're probably hearing all this, you're saying, oh no, Ohio State, we thought we could throw on them, we're not going to be able to. I did say that there's a caveat to that. They do have some holes um, in their defense. And thankfully, uh, in terms of matchups, this is actually perfect for OU because where I do think um, 
the Sooners can't have some guys running open in this game is in the middle of the field. Um, and it just so happens that Oklahoma's best receiving target makes a living over the middle of the field, Mark Andrews. Um, I thought, not to say that Ohio State's linebackers are bad in coverage, because that's certainly not true, but they they can definitely be had over the middle of the field, and that goes, that goes uh, with their safeties as well. I did see a couple of instances where Indiana did have um, multiple guys running free in the middle of the field, and it was mostly coverage busts by their safeties and their linebackers. Um, so we've, we've seen in the past that Lincoln Riley is very good at manipulating these sorts of matchups. Hopefully he sees something on film that we don't that'll allow Mark Andrews and Grant Calcaterra to attack the middle of the field. I think in terms of the passing game, that's where, uh, that's, that's where the money is going to be made for OU in this game. Well, that's a perfect transition into our next question. How should Oklahoma attack this Ohio State defense? You went over it just briefly there a little bit, mentioning Mark Andrews and Grant Calcaterra. Other things to look out for, this is obvious, Oklahoma needs to run the football. they got to keep OSU honest by running the football, and like you said a moment ago, it's a good thing the Oklahoma offensive line is their strength of the team outside of Baker Mayfield. Uh, Mayfield knows that he's going to have to be precise with his throwing. He'll have to throw to a spot a lot of the time. Not going to see a lot of guys running open, at least if the Indiana game is, is any indication uh, back shoulder throws will be his best friend because how tight coverage, uh, the tight coverage that Ohio state plays and Indiana did some of those very, very well. And you mentioned Grant Calcaterra and Mark Andrews. I don't know about this because he disappeared and didn't really show up in game one, but a guy like Jeffrey Mead and his height at six foot, I think three, six, four, something like that could be a, a person and even Jordan Smallwood can present some problems maybe because yeah. of their height maybe some jump balls that yeah. could, that could get through to the the Ohio State defense. Oh, Ohio State defense are their their corners are not huge. They're not big. They're thick, um, but in terms of being tall that they are not. So um, that that is something the the, the guy who did all the damage for Indiana, Simi Cobbs Jr., I, I don't necessarily know if the Sooners have anyone exactly like that on the roster. The closest would probably be true freshman C.D. Lamb, um, closest in body type and athleticism to Simi Cobb. Is C.D. Lamb ready to go on the road in his second collegiate game and you know ask him to win a bunch of jump balls against um, Ohio State's secondary? I doubt it, so I, I'm not necessarily ready to give him that much credit. Uh, who, who I do think could make a big ap- impact in this game, and we, we touched on him earlier this week, is uh, is fellow true freshman Grant Calcaterra. Um, he he just seems like a guy who can make a lot of contested catches, and that's something um, that is you know that's a premium of college offenses. If if you have a guy who can go out there and create his own catch, um, that's I, that's that's really a premium thing to have, and I think Calcaterra is a guy who can actually do that as a true freshman right now. I, I'm really interested to see how he's implemented in this game plan. Another thing that I want to see Oklahoma do that I think Indiana should have done more based on how much man coverage Ohio State plays, sending running backs out of the backfield, whether it be in the flat, on wheel routes, manned up against linebackers. Indiana did that once or twice, and it seemed to work out well for him. and they could have had a touchdown on one play if the if the ball wasn't underthrown. So I'd like to see them spreading out. I mean, we saw Rodney Anderson, Marcellia Sutton catching passes out of the backfield, Abdul Adams, all three of those players are capable of making plays in the passing game, and I think that'll certainly be an option for Lincoln Riley, Baker Mayfield and company in, in this one as well. And I and I also want to uh, you bringing up the running backs. I I think OU can run the ball in this game. I I really do think they can. Um should that be a, a major part of their game plan? Um, 
I don't know. I, I don't think they're going to rip off big chunks of yardage. Uh, but it's one of the things that I really hope um, that Lincoln Riley stays consistent with. And they actually, you know, they hopefully they can run the ball 30 to 35 times in this game because that'll at least keep them honest with the play action pass. Because I know with uh, over the middle of the field with Andrews, that's going to be so big. If they can at least keep them honest um, in the run game, that'll go a long way, um, you know, to helping them win the game. Indiana didn't run the ball for for squat Lee I think they ran no I think they had seven no, they basically I think they had gave 17 yards 17 rushing yards they they ran for less than a yard a carry um and I, a lot of it, it it Indiana's offensive linemen didn't seem to be particularly skilled just in general um so that could have had a lot to do with it but Ohio State they they really do have some freakish looking athletes um on that offensive line um I think um out of any offense in the entire country this OU offense is probably the best suited of anyone to handle them most likely. Uh, but that's, that, that, that's a tough task. I've said numerous times here that, you know, a good defensive line is your, is, is your number one indicator of winning a national championship in college football and Ohio state, they looked the part in that area so that it's slightly concerning. And the last thing that I noticed uh, watching the film of Indiana and then a little bit of, of OU and, and Ohio state from last year, which we'll talk about here in a moment, this is going to happen book it and this isn't that much of a prediction but Oklahoma will definitely look to stretch the field and go deep with Jeff Bidette and probably even Marquise Brown because there's a lot of times in that Indiana Ohio State game where the safeties of Ohio State really would just let the corners kind of be on an island by themselves and I don't think Indiana had the athletes to beat any of those corners deep Jeff Bidette Marquise Brown are all speed and don't get me wrong so are the corners from Ohio State but when you're a receiver and you know where you're going, and if you just get a step on those guys without any safety help, that could be an easy touchdown and also can keep the defense honest moving forward throughout the game. Yeah, and, and with all of that man coverage that I'm that I'm pretty sure uh, Ohio State's going to play, not that they're going to be purely man, I'm sure they'll mix in some zone, um, but I, I would really like to see some kind of some rub routes and some pick routes. I know they're not oh, yeah. and I know they're not necessarily legal, but it seems like it's they're pretty easy to get away with. Um, that's... And it, so, so those, along with some drag routes, those are the perfect way uh, to beat uh, man-to-man defense. The only problem is you got to protect your quarterback to do that. Um, and I've already said that this OU offense is about as as you know well prepared uh, to stop a defensive line like like Ohio State rushing the passer. Um, but you still got to go out and do it. And until I actually see it on the field, uh, they're they're going to be keeping me up at night for sure. All right, Grant. Now it's time to ask, can last year's game give us any kind of clue on how this game's going to play out? And so going back and watching last year's game, you and I did it together. We've done it multiple times, uh, watched the game and, and kind of taken our own, own notes. Here's here's th- three things that I want to bring up, just uh, not necessarily breaking down, you know, each and every play and, and like what I saw. But here's some three, three things that changed the whole entire course of the game that looking back, maybe at the time, we didn't necessarily know. There was three huge plays in the first quarter. That really shaped the entire game. Baker Mayfield misses Mark Andrews on an option route on third down where he's open. It was a bad throw by Mayfield. Andrews maybe should have caught it. It was a little low. He was that wide would have been open. A, he was wide open. Yeah, that's that's the key. He, it would have been a first down. Potentially, if, May, if Andrews is able to break a tackle, he scores a touchdown there. Oklahoma is able to get on the board and score first and go up 7-0. But in, uh, actually, that, 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 was, that was later... That was after it was seven to three. So at that point, it was seven to three, seven nothing. Sorry, because Oklahoma missed that field goal to start the start the game. So, anyways, Oklahoma could have scored there to make it 
uh, seven to seven. Instead, though, the next play was fourth down, and then Mayfield threw that tipped pick that was returned for a touchdown, and made it fourteen nothing, just like that. So that was a change of maybe ten to fourteen points. And then the third play of the of the first quarter was after it was twenty one to seven Ohio State. They got it. The Sooners did got a deep pass to A.D. Miller inside the five yard line. And then the very next play, Mayfield takes a really bad sack, lost like 15 yards, took Oklahoma out of it. And they had to settle for a field goal. I mean, they turn those two uh, those two possessions into touchdowns. You take away that pick six. That game is potentially tied going into halftime. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think a. Uh, the narrative for this game, especially since last September, has been um, Ohio State. You know, went into Norman and just physically manhandled Oklahoma. It just it wasn't even close. It was and and, and I'm not and I don't want to take any anything away from Ohio State in the sense. I mean, they it they won by three touchdowns. Obviously, it was an impressive victory. They deserved to win. Um, but it the the game really did shift on just a handful of plays. Um, and really, the game came down to Ohio State. Um, all of the breaks fell their way they made all of the plays and oh you didn't get any breaks and they didn't make any plays um and that and that it could have changed on a dime uh just like that um it re-watching the game from last year it, it gave me a, a little more confidence uh OU, especially their offense going against their defense was nowhere near as outmanned as a lot of people thought they were there were a lot of people running open in that game i mentioned it numerous uh, i mentioned it numerous times earlier how much uh, Mark Andrews pretty much burned everyone he was on in that game. Um, and I, I, I did have some, some concerns more so probably going back to the defensive side of the ball from that game, um, because that's where they really did lose the game. Uh, because the offense in that game was actually pretty good. They also ran for, for almost 200 yards in that game too, Lee. All right. So I'm going to ask you this question. We'll both give our answers relatively quickly. Grant, what is the best case scenario for the Oklahoma offense in this game? Um, I, I've been, I've really been trying to think about this, um, this, this week. I, I think the best case scenario is, is you're getting balance. Um, and, and by balance, I, like I said, I, I don't necessarily envision them ripping off big runs, but if, uh, if, if Abdul Adams and Marcelli Sutton can be, you know, can at least keep him honest, picking up three or four yards of carry, that'll be huge. Um, because I'd at least keep the linebackers honest and they, they won't be able to just sit back um, and expect in the pass. Um, if OU is going to have a really good game on offense, uh, the offensive line is going to protect Baker Mayfield and Baker Mayfield is going to have a hell of a game. That's the best case scenario. Um, I think when you're playing teams like this, your big knockers have to knock and, ba- and Baker Mayfield is, is, is the biggest knocker on the field. Um, if OU wants to win this game, um, they're going to have to do it on his right arm as I, and I know that's, I know that almost goes against totally what I said in my little opening take there. Um, but, but it really is true. <laughs> but, <laughs> Baker Mayfield is going to have to win this game for them with his right arm. I'll add, uh, add one more aspect to that. As far as best case scenario for the Oklahoma offense, get an early lead, yeah. get out on the Buckeyes, because yeah. I think if they do that, the Sooners, that could cause Ohio state to panic a little bit. And then they could potentially try to lean on JT Barrett and his arm, which is the best case scenario for Oklahoma because JT Barrett is not at his best when he is having to, th- like when he has to throw. It, it seems like 
they, they almost throw too much with them as it is, but really it might be designed just to kind of keep the defense honest and balanced because they could run the ball every single time, but they don't. So I'd like to see what Ohio State would do offensively if they got down a touchdown, even two touchdowns, even better, obviously, just to see – uh, if they would try to do too much with JT Barrett, yeah, I, I I'm glad you brought that up. I, I think an early an early lead is a is a huge deal, not just for momentum, but just because you put Ohio State a little bit behind the chains. Maybe a little bit of a doubt creeps in, and Kevin Wilson, he you know his 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 trigger finger starts to twitch a little bit, and he starts to think, oh maybe I gotta I gotta put it in the air a little bit. That would be best case uh, best case scenario for OU is JT Barrett throwing it 35, 30 to thirty five times would be a really good sign. Um, just, and, and now we're shifting talking about the OU defense against the OS, the Ohio state offense. Um, JT Barrett is, is, is not a strong downfield thrower to put it as lightly and as politely as I possibly can. He's not a, he, he certainly does not have the, the plus next to his name when it comes to throwing the ball downfield. Lee. Before we get more into Barrett, real quick, worst case scenario for Oklahoma offense, and I'll, I'll just go real fast on this. Obviously, the running game is non-existent. That defensive line does a great job and stops the run. I'm afraid of this happening, but Mayfield tries to do too much, kind of like last year. Tries to maybe make a play when it's not there, and then you can I can see it. I can see the wide receivers kind of getting manhandled by those defensive backs and, and kind of grabbing and pulling because they did that a lot against Indiana's receivers. And I can see the referees letting them get away with it, not calling pass interference, not calling holding. Just let and, and if, if that's if that's set early on and an Oklahoma can't get off the line of scrimmage because of the physical physicality of the Oklahoma Ohio State defensive backs it could be a long night yeah I, I would say worst case scenario is, is almost just a replay of last year and that actually that, that was a lot of it um OU's offensive line last year actually did a pretty decent job of protecting Mayfield he had time to throw for majority of the game let's hope um history repeats itself in that sense but the wide receivers especially on the outside did struggle to get off of press coverage um by the Ohio State receivers uh what we saw last week from OU would suggest uh Hopefully, they're not going to have those types of growing pains. But you know, you're going against the number two team in the country. You, you never really know until you see it in this instance. Um, and I guess we'll see. I, I'm very interested to see how the receivers uh, respond to that pressure on Saturday night for sure. All right. So now over to the Ohio State offense matching up against the Oklahoma defense. So here are my thoughts on what I saw from this Ohio State offense in that Indiana game. Okay, number one, J.K. Dobbins, the freshman running back, electric. He's good. They force-fed him the football with Mike Weber out because of hamstring tightness. Uh, But at the same time, though, that offense that Ohio State runs, everybody knows this, but just seeing it on film drives it home more. It's so basic. There's not much to it. They just use all the talent they have up front with their skill positions to just make things happen. And I alluded to this a little bit earlier. They tend to pass a little bit too much, but I think that might just be to keep the defenses honest. Uh, JT Barrett was uninspiring. He missed some throws. I, I will give him credit, though. He did have a long touchdown pass that was dropped. So he should have actually had that about a 44-yard touchdown pass that the guy just had right in his bread basket and dropped. Uh, but really, uh, the, the, the touchdowns that sealed it for him in the third quarter where they ran away with it, big plays, just run after the catch, busted assignments, missed tackles. Can't give up big plays. What, what did you see from that Indiana-Ohio State game as far as the Buckeyes' offense goes? All right, so, so I'm glad you did bring up um, how basic they are. 
Um, and when we say basic, we don't mean bad. We mean they just don't do anything particularly special from a play calling. It's, it's not or, Oklahoma's or offense. schematic. It's, it's not. And so exactly, yeah. And so where Ohio, they don't ask JT Bear to do a whole lot. Sure, sure. And so where Ohio State is really good on offense, though, and this is a lot uh, a lot easier said than done when you're actually on the field and you're an offensive coordinator calling plays. What they do a really good job of is uh, outnumbering you at the point of attack, whereas they do um, some really clever and smart things where they move guys around in motion to get numbers advantages, to put a hat on a hat so they can block everyone that's in front of them. Um, and that's really what gave OU a lot of trouble last year. They did lots of shifts. Um, they were in the formational, uh, they're in the same formation a lot of times, and they would shift a lot from that, from one side to the other, from the weak side to the strong side, just to see what OU's defense would do, how they would move, and what sort of matchups that they could get just moving around a lot. They're very good at doing that. Urban Meyer has built has built a couple of college dynasties now doing exactly that. And he recruits well, and he puts your uh, his athletes, which are 99% of the time going to be better than your athletes on the other side, and he puts a hat on them. And when you're giving the ball to four- and five-star running backs after that, they just let them do the work. Um, last year, they had the, uh, OU's defense so many plays where they got washed out just because there were more Ohio State – blockers on one side of the field than there were OU defenders and that is all and that's all preparation that's stuff um, that Mike Stoops needs to see from last year he needs to have them prepared because what Iowa State does best is they do a bunch of really small things on offense just to get you thinking and in football when you're playing defense and when the ball snaps and you're thinking instead of just reacting you're screwed and Ohio State is a master at doing that and they're gonna and it's I don't think they're gonna come out with anything um anything complex or anything crazy or weird in this game plan, they're going to come out doing what they've always done, thinking that they can just physically manhandle Oklahoma's defense. So how should the Oklahoma defense play this offense? Um, here's how I answer that question. It all starts up front, and, and this isn't a secret, that the Oklahoma defensive line and the front seven really with the, with the inexperience at middle linebacker with Kenneth Murray – that's where this game will be probably decided, honestly. And the defensive line has to hold its ground. It has to at least prevent a stalemate and allow the linebackers room to run around to try to make tackles. Because if not, man, it's going to be a long night. And just simply tackling is going to be absolutely huge because if, the, if Oklahoma is able to tackle, they won't give up big plays, which do not give up big plays. It killed Indiana, and it can't kill Oklahoma like it killed them last year. Yep. Yeah, Lee, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Kenneth Murray. Um, I think, uh, you know, what I said earlier about how Iowa State just wants to get you thinking while that ball is snapped, that particularly concerns me about Kenneth Murray because this is his second collegiate game ever. The second game he's really ever played at middle linebacker. He was a safety and an outside linebacker in high school. Um, and so, you know, probably pre-snap, he's trying to go through his keys. He's trying to get everyone aligned. And when he sees Ohio State, uh, shifting formations and shifting guys everywhere and then polling guys. What's he going to be thinking? I, I'm hoping that he can let all of that go and he can just be an athlete out there and react to stuff. I think that that'll be the better uh, the better scenario for OU. Uh, for OU. You know, we'll see. As, as far as how to attack this Ohio State defense, um, and, and I honestly don't see this a whole lot with Mike Stoops, um, but I guess it's been the last few years when they've been in the 3-4, now they're in the 4-3. Lee, they need to load the box. They, they, they need to put eight or nine guys in the box and they need to put t 
Thomas and Motley out on an island against their two receivers or however many they got. Um, and they just need to they need to outnumber Ohio State at the point of attack at the line of scrimmage. Um, I, I think that's really their only chance to to stop the run in this game. That's a high risk, high reward type kind of defensive scheme, yep. though, too, because you load the box. You saw what happened last year when they loaded the box on that fourth down play early on in the game. Yep. And then, boom, just right around left end, touchdown for Samuel They because there's nobody out there. Yep, they got outnumbered. That's why. They shifted mm-hmm. around a lot and got outnumbered on that side. All right, Grant. So from your perspective, what is the best case scenario for the Oklahoma defense as they try to attack this Ohio State offense going into Columbus on Saturday? I think best case scenario is is uh, they're not getting gashed on the ground. I, I, I don't envision any sort of scenario where they just – they stone cold just shut down Ohio State's running attack. That's not going to happen. Um, what would be a good sign, though, is if Ohio State is consistently in uh, third and medium, third and six, third and seven, um, obvious passing downs. That's what you want. Um, I Yeah, I, I really feel like they're going to be incredibly successful if they can keep Ohio State in third and medium to third and long and just force JT Barrett to beat you with his arm. I do have concerns about him as a runner. I think he's a very effective runner uh, just because he's big. He's hard to bring down. Um, we saw last year that they use him in a, uh, in a lot of uh, short yarded situations. But if, if, if Ohio State has to rely on JT Barrett converting third and longs um, – OU has put themselves in a really good position to win the game. So that's the best case scenario for the OU defense. The worst case scenario for the OU defense is that the defensive line, the front seven just gets pushed around. Ohio State outnumbers that front seven kind of as you've you've described them doing. Uh, Ohio State's able to exploit Kenneth Murray up the middle, a lot of crossing routes. He doesn't get deep enough when they, when he's playing zone. He gets confused, uh, and that and that in turn it means that Ohio State just runs the ball, you know, right down right down Oklahoma's throat with Dobbins and also Weber. I mean, two two running backs. That, oh my gosh! I mean, uh, P. Ryan and Mixon last year was great for Oklahoma, but Weber and Dobbins. I mean, they're both kind of the same kind of player because they're both fast, shifty kind of guys. And P. Ryan was more of like the ground and pound, and, and Mixon was the flashy one. But really, it's going to be difficult to stop either one of those guys. And 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 the, the last thing on this is the wide receivers are able to to exploit the Oklahoma secondary, which was not tested at all against UTEP. And and that that could be the worst case scenario is, is if Oklahoma secondary is just not ready for that speed and they just burn right by. Absolutely. Him. So, and I, and I do want to point this out about Ohio state's offense, especially their skill positions. Um, you mentioned Mike Weber. He was their starter uh, all of last season. He missed the first game with an injury. Uh, Mike Weber's is solid. Um, I, I think his, his backup, the true freshman who, who got all the playing time against Indiana, JK Dobbins reminds me a lot of Quentin Griffin, actually. Um, he's, uh, he's more explosive than Mike Weber for sure. Um, in a game like this, Dobbins kind of scares me a little more than Weber because Weber is more of just your, um, you know, your five to ten yards per pop type of guy. He's not a guy who you're really scared is gonna, you know, break off a ninety yard run on you. And of course, as soon as I say that, I'm sure he'll have one on Saturday night. Um, but I want to go back to the receivers, Lee. Their receivers are not huge. You're not. You don't have a big, tall, imposing guy like they did last year with Noah Kane. Um, their their number one receiver is Paris Campbell, and he. Um, I, I don't have an exact height on him, but he didn't even he didn't look that much bigger than Dobbins. To be honest with you, he looked a little smaller to me. Um, he's 
he's thick and he's fast, um, and so are their other guys. Um, so we'll see, but I, I don't think there there's going to be any sort of huge jump ball uh, jump ball disadvantage for OU this year like there was last year. Uh, not much to talk about special teams wise. I'll just say this: Austin Seibert, don't miss chip shot field goals. Don't attempt a field goal more than 40 yards because I don't want to see it. I don't trust it. And just simply don't give up any punt return or kickoff return touchdowns or any big plays in that. Anything you have to add to special teams? No, nope, that's it. I just don't want any busts. That's all. Um, I, I would I would love to see a punt or kick return for a touchdown, but yeah, I mean those great. are those are those are largely random, and I don't expect to see anything like that. And the last thing before we get to what's going to happen, what we what we think what we think will happen on Saturday, we got to talk about the coaches because we have Urban Meyer, who for my money right now is the third best coach in college football behind Nick Saban, and Dabo Sweeney I think has jumped into the number two spot at this point just because of how much success he's had the past few seasons. Urban Meyer though is that is is right behind him. He was there before Sweeney in my opinion. He's so good, and then you have Lincoln Riley who has coached one game in his entire career. I'd like to say that there's not going to be much of a uh, the game will not, I guess, be determined by the coaches, but it's kind of hard to say that considering Meyer has so much experience. And really, Grant, you can't teach experience, which Urban Meyer has, and Lincoln Riley will not have for another 10, 15 years. So maybe there's some things that Meyer knows that Riley just does not that can give Urban Meyer an advantage. I think this is a really interesting coaching matchup. Um, when you're talking about Urban Meyer, you're talking about um, you said the third best coach in the in the land. I I think he's the second best in the land behind Saban. Um, he's just been there so many times. The guys won um, guys won three national championships as a head coach. Um, I, this is so intriguing because you you know um, the you know how we feel about Lincoln Riley, um, us and Sooner Nation. We think we think he's a rock star. We think he's a future star. Um, you know within the coaching ranks of the country. And I I am. I'm, let's just say I'm very confident that Oklahoma is going to come out with a really good game plan on offense. Of that, I am 100% sure of. Um, I, I can't speak of the defense, and honestly, I can't I can't speak of the team's mentality until until the whistle blows, until the game starts, um, because we just don't know. Uh, Ohio State's a whole different ball game than UTEP. And one thing also too to add to that that I have no way of proving this. This is just my opinion. But I think that this Oklahoma team, I'm confident, will come out with more fire and tenacity and want to and will to win than Oklahoma otherwise would have if Bob Stoops was still the head coach of this team. And I, I it's just a theory of mine. It, it, I may be 100 percent wrong, but that's just the way I feel. And, and I've kind of been talking along these lines uh, for the past few months, ever since Lincoln Riley took over. Yeah. And, and I think. um and you never know the reason. Let's say they do come out like that, and you never, you never really know why. Um, what I want to see is is composure. I, I also want to see fire, um, but I, I just, I, I want to see intensity, but I want it to be controlled. And and I, I don't think there's enough being said about how much high end experience this OU team has. Um, they have seven senior starters on defense. Their offensive line has played an entire season together. They have over eighty starts together. Baker Mayfield has. Uh, close to 30 starts total as a college quarterback. There's a lot of experience on this OU team. A lot of guys who have played a lot of true road games. Um, and, and I think that we'll, we'll see that on Saturday night. At least I would like to see that on Saturday night. I would like to see that composure that goes along with that. And it's worth saying, too, all the things I mentioned a moment ago about Oklahoma coming out with more fire and want and will. 
with Lincoln Riley as head coach as opposed to Bob Soup as a coach, that doesn't necessarily mean that's a good thing because potentially that could be a bad thing. And maybe Bob Soup's is so experienced that he knows how to get his guys ready to go in games like this to where you can't be too high because if you are, you bust right away, you get behind, and then it's over. So you know what? I it I could be right about my theory, but it also could be a bad thing, and, and I just don't even realize it yet. Uh, lastly, before we get to talking a little bit about this weekend in college football outside of this big game, Grant, what do you want to see happen on Saturday? Um, I want to see – obviously, I want to see them win, but I want to see them look impressive doing it. Um, and I, I think I would be more excited – um, if the defense surprised and played incredibly well and they won the game, um, I'd be more so excited in that in that terms. Um, you know, whether or not it was it was Baker Mayfield who did it, um, I would be more excited with with the defense putting in a really exciting showing. Because I'm telling you, man, it's that defense that that wins national championships, and I and I don't think that their defense is at that level yet. I think their offense is at that level and has been at that level for a decade, uh, but. I, I got to see it on the defensive side of the ball, and, and I'm not necessarily sure that's going to happen. But man, I sure want to see it happen, Lee. I want to see that as well, and I'll add three more things just quickly. I want to see some controlled OU swagger. I want to see Mark Andrews dominate this game, much like he dominated against UTEP, but obviously at a, on a bigger stage and for four quarters instead of for two quarters. And lastly, s- simply, I don't want to see Oklahoma get way behind so early in the game like they did last year. I want to see them be able to play a full game and not be behind the eight ball so quickly. Couldn't have said it better myself. So finally, that's what we want to see happen. And we did this last week with UTEP. We're going to do this every week going into these games. Grant, what will happen on Saturday and who's going to win this game? I think it's going to be a really close game. Um, Ohio state is going to win um, just because I think they have, uh, they have more uh, players who are better than than uh than players in Oklahoma um I don't think it's as big of a gap as people think it is um but in a lot of areas it is a pretty big gap especially on the defensive line um Ohio State's linebackers who we didn't really talk about a lot are really impressive I I I think Ohio State is going to win 34 to 30 I think it's going to be a close game and I think a lot of people are going to come away impressed with uh with Oklahoma after the game but they are going to lose 34 to 30 is Grant's prediction for a score Ohio State Here's what I think will happen. The offense is going to be able to run the ball decently. Uh, Abdul Adams and Marcellus Sutton will get some yards on the ground. I think that's going to be a, a part of the running game and, and the offense for OU. I think Baker Mayfield's going to come out. He's going to be crisp. He always is, even against this kind of defense. I think he's going to be crisp. But I do think that once or twice he will try to do too much. And I, I think at some point he's going to make a mistake that really makes us all go, I mean, that was a great play before, but then that just kind of maybe took the other one away. Um, I think Ohio State's going to run all over Oklahoma again, just like last year. I don't have faith. I'm sorry. I don't have faith until I see it in Mike Stoops and stopping the run. And and sometimes it doesn't even come down to that. It just comes down to players. And, and I'm not sure how much at this point Ruffin McNeil can do with that defensive line. I just don't know. I want to be wrong. I want to be 100% wrong about that. But I just I don't believe it yet. Uh, I think the defense will improve as the season goes on, but it's so early in the year that it's not a good time to be playing a team like Ohio State. I think the Buckeyes win this game 41-31 to 31 and cover that 7.5-point spread. Wow. Okay. So both, so both of us pick in Ohio State. Both of us obviously hoping that we are dead wrong. Before we go quickly, we're going to hit some Big 12 games real fast. Oklahoma State's playing South Alabama in Mobile on Friday. Cowboys a four-touchdown favorite. 
I'm interested to see what happens in that game. I want to see how Oklahoma State does following up the game against Tulsa. I want to see if their defense can play can play a little bit better. Actually, I take that back. Their defense played pretty well against Tulsa, and the score really should not have been, I think, what it was, 59-28. It should have been more like 59-60 to like 14 or 10. Uh, interested to watch Oklahoma State in that one. Anything you want to add to that game, Grant? Not really. I think Oklahoma State should probably have their starters out um, after halftime. Um, the the only the only thing I would say is it it sucks that they have to play the first two uh, the first two weeks of the season they haven't even played on a Saturday yet that, that kind of blows <laughs> yeah that's that's very unique they'll get their first Saturday game next week at Pitt which will be oh, an intriguing matchup Iowa at Iowa State Iowa State's your Big Twelve sleeper Grant you confident in the Cyclones in this one um I, not to the point where I'm going to predict them to win but I do think that they are going to give Iowa some troubles. Um, Iowa is not the first team you think of when you think of explosive offenses. Um, I, I think Iowa State is, you know, they're not going to get burned. They're not going to get down by a lot. Um, I, I could really see this be um, kind of Iowa State's coming out party here, saying, hey, look, we're Iowa State and we're not ter- terribly <laughs> horrible anymore. Um, so hey. I'm, I, I'm not as. Hey, yeah, we're the Cyclones. Sure. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go out and say that, that Iowa State's going to win this game, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if they do. Which means on Monday, um, when you listen to this podcast, and if they did win, I am just gonna—you're not gonna hear me shut up about how I called Iowa State beating <laughs> Iowa. Oh my, oh my gosh! Uh, all right, uh, okay. TCU's right now; they're 23rd. They blew out Jackson State, 63 to nothing. They're at Arkansas on Saturday. That's an intriguing matchup. I have no idea this will play out. Let's just go in with an open mind and watch this one. Okay, yeah, I, and I'm gonna. That's all, I, that's all I can add to that. I'm gonna do the same. Um, my my heart says TCU on this one, uh, but I, I I don't like being a hacky Big Twelve homer. I, I think Arkansas is probably gonna win this game. Um, I, I think TCU probably has better players. They got a better coach, uh, probably better offense. But I thought all that same stuff last year too. And Arkansas went into Fort Worth and beat TCU. So um, I'll, I'll go with Arkansas on this one. And then really, what's going to happen this week with Texas? Texas is a 26-point favorite at home against San Jose State. Should Texas be a 26-point favorite over, over anybody at this point after what we saw last week? That's a good question. I, it's a, this is an interesting game. I, I don't think anyone thinks Texas is going to lose this game. Uh, it's just it, it's more of interesting to see how they're going to come out, how they respond to the disappointing game last week. Um, I'll be watching this game for sure. I, I just... That there would be nothing more satisfying to me than see the the whole Tom Herman era just go up into flames right from the beginning. That would be that would be so. You can't say that wouldn't be entertaining. How entertaining would oh, that absolutely. be? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely would. So it absolutely I'm, would be pretty entertaining. So whatever. San Jose State's my second favorite team this week. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens. On to the picks. We have five games. We'll do this every week. And Grant kicked my ass last week. He went four and one. I went two and three. Uh, Which shouldn't be surprised to anyone who has listened to the first few episodes of this podcast. I'm clearly superior in every, you know. All right. Well, bragging like that is going to force me to play my card of going 15 and five against the spread and winning a lot of money this past weekend. And good for you. Actually, actually against the spread where, you know, it actually matters to have picking straight up. That's that's dumb. Good for you. Okay, real quick on all these. We're going to go one by one and we each got to pick fast. Pitt at fourth ranked Penn State. That's an intriguing matchup because Pitt's got a little bit of talent, but if we're not going against the spread, I'm going to take Penn State. Yeah, uh, I'll take Penn State too. I know Penn State was was my one of two picks for most overrated team in the country. 
Um, I this is a game I, I probably would have thought about taking Pitt a couple weeks ago. Pitt struggled in their very first uh, in their first their first game last week against an FCS opponent. Penn State rolled. Uh, this game is in Happy Valley. I'll take Penn State. Worth noting though that Penn State's only a twenty two point favorite at home. That's a, it's only a little more than three touchdowns. And that's that's a pretty big favorite against uh, you know another BCS yeah, conference I, I team, especially that's one that point. won nine games last year. That, that's. 22 is a pretty big number for that game. Okay. All right. You convinced me. Uh, 13th ranked Auburn at third ranked Clemson. I will take Clemson in this game. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch Auburn, but I did watch Clemson play. And I believe it's a Kelly Parker, the new quarterback. Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant, Kelly Bryant. Looks good. Looks like a great, uh, really good player. Uh, it was his first career start. Clemson looks like they're rolling. I may, I may be wrong about them being a bit uh, overvalued. Um. So my head um, tells me Clemson on this one. I, I, in fact, after Florida State lost and also lost DeAndre Francois for the season, I would probably um, shift Clemson into uh, the college football playoff after that. Um, however, I'm just going to, for continuity's sake, I did pick Auburn to go to the college football playoff. This seems like a game that they have to win if they're going to be in the playoff. Um, I'll go with Auburn. I think Clemson playing at home is uh, their four-and-a-half-point favorite. I think they should be favored. Uh, but I'm going to go with Auburn. I think Jared Stidham's going to play a good game, and and I think uh, people are going to be surprised when Auburn beats Clemson. In a, I have no idea what's going to happen in this game because I don't trust either one of these head coaches right now. Georgia at Notre Dame, and Notre Dame sneaks into the top 25 at number 24. The Irish are four and a half point favorites. I'm going to take Georgia in this one. Okay. Um, see, I, I don't think that's a terrible pick. Um, I, I'm assuming Notre Dame is, is a four and a half point favorite because Jacob Eason, um, is hurt and is going to, is going to miss a couple months. Uh, Georgia starting a true freshman quarterback. Uh, I'm going to take Notre Dame, um, just to go against you again here. In fact, I, I like Notre Dame big. I think George is kind of a paper tiger. Um, it, it's really hard to go on the road, um, and win with a, with a true freshman quarterback, especially when they don't have a particularly explosive offense to begin with. Uh, George is going to be really one-dimensional. Notre Dame is going to be able to, to to put the clamps on that. I think they're going to win by by double digits. TCU and Arkansas. We kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. I'll take TCU to win this game, Grant. Or did I take Arkansas? Did I already pick it? I can't even remember anymore. This is this is. You didn't. No, you didn't pick. I picked. I picked. Oh, you. Picked. I picked Arkansas. Okay, well, I'm, I'll pick T- TCU. So, no, no need to talk about that anymore. Last one. Stanford at USC. The Trojans are six and a half point favorites, and I think we're both on the same page in this one. I'll take Stanford. Grant, I'm gonna take Stanford by double digits. I think they they, they shockingly win pretty easily against USC. USC had a lot of trouble against Western Michigan. Don't have time to go into it right now. I'll just say it: they had a lot of trouble. The Trojans did against Western Michigan. Well, that does it with this episode of West of Everest. If you liked what you heard today, give us a rating on iTunes and leave us a review. It would be much appreciated. Enjoy OU Ohio State on Saturday night. Grant and I will be back Monday with plenty of reaction from what happened at the shoe. Until then, for Grant, I'm Lee. This is West of Everest.